So Jesus speaks about the huge privilege that the disciples have and that we have in understanding what what he says prophets and righteous men longed to see. Another passage that speaks about that is in 1 Peter chapter 1 and that's where our, where we're going today. 1 Peter 1 uh, verses 10 to 12 is uh, our focus for today. And it reads like this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was, come, that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. There are some unusual people in the world who are people magnets, aren't there? You know, you know, what a people, you know what a person magnet is? Someone who people just flock to them. They, people just love to be with a people or a person magnet. Well, I've got a friend in, who lives in Sydney who is like that. He's a Christian and uh, he, um, he, he has, God has used him in the conversion of a number of people. How does he do it? Well, what he does is he holds Bible studies in his home and tells his neighbours and his friends about them. That's it. That's what he does. How does it work? Well, he is a, he is a, a people magnet and so he is able to really easily and naturally talk to his neighbours about what he's doing. Uh, but even though he has this natural gift, this God-given gift, he, he works hard at it. He is intentional about using his gift. So he, you know, uh, he lived in Canberra for a while and when he was there and you were still allowed to wash your car, he used to um, wash his car on the front nature strip. Uh, and his, his, his intention was not to get his car clean. His intention was to meet his neighbours. And so he would wash his car on Saturday morning when all his neighbours were about. And at a certain time when the maximum number of neighbours were there, his wife would bring out coffee. Uh, and the, the idea was not to give, the guy, give Matthew coffee. It was so that Matthew could invite his friends, his neighbours, to join him in drinking coffee with him. Uh, you know, he, he had a natural, uh, God-given ability, but he worked hard intentionally to use this ability. And, and in his conversations, he would talk about all kinds of things. And he would talk about the Bible study that he was holding in his home and the friends who were coming along to this Bible study. And he would never invite anyone to a Bible study. He told people about what he was doing as part of his natural conversation, but he never invited anyone. Instead, he waited until people asked if they could come along as well. And people did. They asked. And people came, they heard the gospel, and some were converted. 
Now, what Matthew's doing there is he's using his gift, but he's, he's sharing something of his, his sense of privilege in being Christian, in having the Bible to study. And what my friend Matthew does is what Peter calls us to, in a way, too. Um, uh, in the same letter, in chapter 3, verse 15, he writes, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter is expecting that Christians will, uh, that the hope that they have will be noticed and that people will ask them about it. And, and he, he, Peter challenges us to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Are you able to do that? I'm not asking if you have this gift of being a people magnet. Maybe some of you are. Um, but are you able to express the reason for the hope that you have? In order to do that, what must be in place in your life is you must know yourself the massive privilege of being Christian, of having the Bible. You can't, you can't, um, you can't express that sense of privilege unless you have that sense of privilege yourself. And so the question is, do you see it as a privilege to be Christian, to have the Bible? If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Saviour and Lord, do you see yourself as being privileged off the scale? Suppose um, this morning one of your heroes came to church. You know, uh, maybe Julia Gillard or uh, Gary Ablett or Margaret Fulton or Leonard Cohen or President Obama. I don't know, just put in your own name, you know. Uh, one of your heroes came to church. And after church, we go to say, and we say what, why? Why did you come? And they say, well, I was hoping that maybe um, uh, Liz would be here or um, uh, Benjamin would be here or, uh, you know, uh, put in your own name. I was hoping that that person would be here and I was hoping that we may be able to catch up after church. Now, wouldn't you feel immensely privileged? Wouldn't you feel sought out by your hero? But do you have that same sense of privilege concerning the honour that God has bestowed on you in being Christian? Maybe you're not Christian. Maybe you don't claim to be Christian. Do you see that being a Christian is a massive honour? God has given you tremendous status when, when you become a Christian. We've been looking at this letter from Peter and Peter's great purpose, Peter knows that his readers are suffering and his great purpose is that he might encourage his people, the people he's writing to, to suffer well. 
What does it mean to suffer well? Um, uh, all of us will suffer if we live long enough. And the question is, what will your suffering do to you? Will it, will it burn you up because your life is just full of rubbish? Or will it turn you into pure gold? Because there is this, there is this core of faith in your life that can't be burned up, no matter how life no matter how hard life becomes. Peter's letter is designed to help people thrive under suffering. It's designed to help Christians suffer well. And these verses, verses 10 to 12, are part of that overall purpose. The message of these verses is this. To suffer well you must be convinced of the enormous privilege of being Christian. Peter's writing about salvation. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, he's writing about the salvation that is he's outlined in verses 1 to 9. And we've seen it. You know, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead so that we might have a hope that cannot be, that, that, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. God keeps the inheritance safe for us in heaven, and we are kept safe for it. We only know the outer fringes of all that God has done for us, but it's ready, and one day it will be revealed in full, and we will know the fullness of what Christ has done for us. This is the salvation that. Peter's writing about now and in these three verses he he mentions seven characteristics of that salvation he 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 builds and builds and builds he builds these on top of each other seven characteristics and his purpose is to astonish us at the sheer value and worth of the salvation that has come to us. So I pray that you will be astonished. Let's look at these seven. First, the salvation is what the prophets pointed to. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you. Now, as a Jew, when Peter talks about the prophets, he's talking about the whole of the Old Testament story and the way in which the prophets uh, reflected a priest about that story, the implications of that story to Israel. He's talking about the whole of the Old Testament. The salvation that has come to you was the focus of the whole of the Old Testament. Second, according to verse 11, it was the Spirit of Christ who spoke through the prophets about that salvation. The Spirit of Christ, um, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Peter calls in the Spirit of Christ to emphasize that what the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to say was what Jesus inspired them to say. Jesus Christ was in charge of the production of the Old Testament. It is a book about him, but it is also a book by him. Jesus is not only the one whom the prophets spoke about, Jesus is also the one speaking through the prophets. The prophets didn't only tell about the salvation that he would bring. 
Jesus spoke through the prophets to speak about the salvation that he would bring. Thirdly, the salvation is something that the prophets tried with the greatest care to find out more about. Verse 10, the prophets searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. When the prophets spoke, they didn't actually fully understand their own message. But they did understand that their message was pointing to some crucial future events. Uh, when, when Peter uses the word time and circumstances, those words mean that here is something God would do in history. You know, uh, it's not a, not a message, it's not a philosophy, it's not a way to live. It's something that God would do that would change history. And they were, they were straining forward trying to find out what that was. Fourthly, that salvation is achieved through the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, says verse 11. Those events which the prophets prophesied about, which the Spirit of Christ was speaking about, which the prophets tried to work out themselves, were the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Fifth, the salvation that the prophets foretold through the Spirit of Christ has now been spoken to us through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, what the prophets, you know, what the prophets, uh, in a in their searching way, tried to uncover, has been fully made known to us. Who've had the preach, who've had the gospel preached to them. And what's more, the passage says, the same spirit who, the same spirit of Christ who inspired the prophets also empowered those people who spoke the gospel to us, the apostles and all those who preached the gospel. The whole Bible, not just Old Testament, Old and New Testament are about Christ and is by Christ. He is speaking to us through them about himself. Number six, that salvation is actually meant primarily for those who have had the gospel preached, for us who have had the gospel preached to us. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you. When those prophets in the Old Testament spoke, was, was their message for the people they were speaking to? Of course it was. Of course they had a message for their own day. But they understood that there was something even more important in the future that they were pointing to. What they were saying to their own people had an even more important focus in the future. And they longed to know more about what their words meant for the future. We now have the fullness of understanding of what they longed for. And seventh, finally, the seven characteristics. That salvation is what even angels long to look into. Think about that. Jesus says there is 
great rejoicing amongst the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. Just imagine the, the, the ecstasy of celebration when the angels understood what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. No wonder that when Jesus was about to be born, it was angels who came to, to, to sing about the coming of the king, who, who sang to the shep who announced it to the shepherds and sang the songs of celebration that God was about to well, was bringing the Saviour into the world. So, so this is the picture. Um, uh, Peter's writing to suffering outsiders. Okay, they are strangers in the world. They're suffering outsiders. They are, they are, they're nobody. And the picture is prophets and angels standing on tiptoes, catching their breath, astonished of the privilege that God is pouring out on suffering outsiders. If we read this passage right, it should blow our minds. The salvation that we've inherited, the, the salvation that has now been revealed in the gospel, has been the focus of God's plan right from the beginning. The Spirit of Christ spoke about it through the prophets. The, the, the prophets would have loved to have known more about it. They searched intently with the greatest care. They realized they were serving us a future group of people to whom this would be fully revealed. Even the angels long to look into it. And it's been revealed to us. Well, Peter's letter is a manual on how to suffer well. This passage is an important part of that. To suffer well, you must be convinced of the privilege of being Christian and of having the Bible. If you want to suffer well, develop a growing amazement about the message of the gospel. Now, it's easy, isn't it, to become blasé about the gospel. You know, you, you see it in children. Um, okay, let's uh, read the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Ah, oh, we know that story, Mum. But, uh, tell me something different. Tell me something new. You tell them, Jesus died to save you from your sin. And they say, yeah, I know that. Tell me something else. And we as adults do the same thing. We say, I know the gospel. I want to go on. I want to go on to deeper things. I know the gospel. We think we know it and we just switch off. But angels long to look into these things. Angels. Do you think angels are smart? I reckon they're pretty smart. But, but they, they long to look into the gospel. They never tire of it. And we say, oh, I already know that. Well, if you know the gospel, then why are you living as you are? If you know the gospel, why are your difficulties and troubles 
still able to derail you. If you know the gospel, why are you still paralyzed by criticism? If you know the gospel, why is it that the approval of others makes your day and puts you on a high and the criticism of others drags you down and makes you grumpy and impossible to live with? Now, I'm not asking you, I'm asking myself these questions. Knowing the gospel is much more than just knowing information. All the information in the world won't give you this sense of privilege, this easy mind which gives you a power to thrive during suffering. Most of us, many of us, I don't know, maybe I should say some of us, don't know how to suffer well because we don't know how to appreciate the privilege of belonging to God. We can't handle our troubles because we haven't learned how to look into the gospel with a thankful and rejoicing heart. And so, how do we gain that? It's okay for me to say that, but how do we gain a sense of privilege? How do we gain that sense of amazement? You know, you don't, you don't want to sort of create a, an artificial hype, do you? You know, you don't want to kind of artificially build, your, build yourself up and have this hype about the gospel. And, you know, that, that'll just leave you off worse than before because it won't be grounded. It's easy to come to church and to say, huh, nothing much is happening here. Um, oh, we're just going through the motions. What's the point really of being a Christian? It's pretty hard being a Christian. I know that. What's the point? Why do we go? Why do we do it? How do we get beyond that? How do we get a sense of privilege? Well, I think the best way ahead is to remind yourself that the gospel announces the events that changed history. Everything has changed. Nothing is as it was before. The life that Jesus lived changes everything. The death that Jesus died changes everything. The resurrection uh, that, he, that he went through changes everything. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ change everything. Life is not a treadmill. History is not a cycle that just goes round and round. We are going somewhere. God has swept us up into a magnificent purpose. The gospel is not a philosophy. It's not a teaching about how to live. Of course, it has implications about how to live. But first of all, the gospel is an announcement. God has done something. God has changed the universe. Our, our default human position is rebellion against God, isn't it? You know, we think we are wiser than God. We think that we can run our lives better than God, better than God can. That's why we go our own way and don't live God's way. 
all of us rebel against God. Now, there are, there are different kinds of rebellion. Um, many of our fellow Australians, and maybe some of us, are into a kind of indifference rebellion. We don't, don't really care about God. Maybe we, maybe we believe certain things, but it doesn't really make any difference in our lives. Many Australians, and maybe some of us, are involved in a different kind of rebellion. We could call it rejection rebellion. We are rejecting God. We know about God and we're saying, no, away from me. We're running away from God. But many of us, many of us who want to know God and who are not rejecting him, we are into what I have decided to call obedient rebellion. Obedient rebellion. We obey God so that he will love us. When we feel we've been relatively good, we think everything's okay between us and God. When we fall, when we fail, we want to fix ourselves up first and then come and say, here I am, here I am, Lord, I'm back. It's, it's obedient. We want to be obedient. But it's obedience for the wrong reason. And ultimately it's rebellion. It's refusing God's way of salvation through faith in Christ. It's refusing the gospel. Now, isn't that a battle for us? Isn't that a constant battle for us? We're not indifferent to God. We, we love God. We want to serve him. We're not rejecting God. We do not oppose God. But we constantly want to mend ourselves, to justify ourselves to God, so that we can be good enough for him to love us. But will that, will that ever work? Will you ever be good enough for God to love you? Is that going to work? It's never going to work, is it? It's what we pursue, but it's never going to work. God's way is utterly different. Peter calls it the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Jesus suffered and died. He did it, it, it happened. It's historical. 2,000 years ago, he suffered on a Friday. He was put on a cross. On the following Sunday, he rose again from the grave and he is alive today. His, it is his sufferings and the glories that would follow, the glories that would follow and now. The glory, his glory, is that people every day, right now, are trusting him and joining him in the church of which he is the head and leader. His glory is that people are not waiting to repair themselves before they come, but are coming out of their darkness into his light. Ah, oh, I could never come as I am. I'm too caught up in my sin. But God knows. That's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't die to give you an opportunity, opportunity to revamp yourself. 
It's not what you do. It's what he has done that brings him glory, that allows him to experience what Peter says, what Peter calls the glories that would follow. And that mystery, that truth has been revealed to us. That is our enormous privilege. Peter is instructing suffering Christians. He's saying to them, to handle your sufferings well, there's, there's lots of things you need to do. And he, the whole letter is a manual of suffering well. But one of the things you need to do is to understand your enormous privilege. Yes, you are suffering. But God knows. God your sufferings are not a sign that God is neglecting you. How could he possibly neglect you when he has poured out so much blessing upon you? Your sufferings are not a sign of God's neglect. They are, suffer they are a sign of your fellowship with Christ who suffered for you. Just as suffering led to glory for him, so suffering will lead to glory for us. As we suffer and die with Christ, so with him we live and experience glory. People of God, church of God, learn how to gaze into the gospel. Learn to see the depths of privilege that you've been given. Prophets and angels, they are jealous of you. They long to have what you have. Jesus announced it beforehand in ways that were hard to understand, but now they've been fully revealed to us whom, to whom the gospel has come. Let's, let's rejoice. Let's revel in the gospel. Shall we pray? Our dear Father in heaven, you have poured out every spiritual blessing on us we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We've been born again into a living hope and into an inheritance that, that can never perish, spoil or fade. Our lives are firmly founded. Nothing can shake because nothing can defeat you. Such huge blessing. Father, please forgive us for undervaluing what you have done for us. We tend to get excited about earthly success. We are thrilled when our team wins, when our job prospects change, when we receive an unexpected financial boost. And we can sometimes take our Christian status for granted. We see it as old news. Father, give us a greater sense of our privilege, we pray. Lord, may, not, may that not be some kind of artificial hype and excitement that withers and dies, leaving us worse off than before. Rather, we pray, give us um, deep, substantial growth in our appreciation of all that you have done for us. Father, may that, may that change of mind, may that May that change of heart nurture an ability to 
face up to our troubles realistically and in faith. Help us to know that you are good and that you are doing good for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.